What's going on, everybody? Welcome on in to the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy.com. I am Heavy.com NFL insider Matt Lombardo. Great to have you here. Great to have you along for the ride on the Matt Lombardo Show. This is going to be an exciting podcast. It's a project that I've really been looking forward to. Each and every week, we're going to get into the biggest storylines across the NFL, talk to the biggest names in the sport, current players, former players, executives, decision makers, We're going to give out some awards as well that I'm really excited about, including not to be mistook for the Super Bowl trophy, the Lombardi trophy. We will award the Lombardo trophy each and every week. We'll get into that a little bit later on. And our first guest, I couldn't be more excited to welcome into the show is Las Vegas Raiders All-Pro wide receiver Devontae Adams. He'll be joining us on behalf of Tide. We'll get his thoughts on the Raiders' season, where they go from here, how Las Vegas turns it around, and just what is going on to his success, what has driven his success in the past with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, and what he hopes to build now with Derek Carr and the Raiders. We're joined now by Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver Devontae Adams, who joins us on behalf of Tide and their efforts to bust the myth that lucky jerseys don't need to be washed and try to convince fans to wash their lucky jerseys too. Devontae, thanks for taking the time. How you doing, man? Doing great. How you doing, Ross? Hey, great to have you here. Really looking forward to the conversation, especially after this past Sunday in the game you had. You really broke out, 109 receiving yards. The offense really seemed to be firing on all cylinders against a division rival. What was the spark for you guys? What helped you turn the corner on Sunday afternoon? Um, I think just the accountability and, uh, you know, some of the things that were acknowledged um, earlier in the week. It was a different different intentionality brought to practice. I think everybody understood that, um, you know, we're, we're a good team. Our record obviously doesn't or didn't and still doesn't uh, quite yet reflect that. But, um, you know, we, we, we got a great, uh, we got a great roster. So we just got to figure out whatever it is as, as far as, are, you know, are we playing hard enough and, and, and this and that. And I think that uh, when everybody started to get a little bit more real and um, locked in on their assignments and, and discipline, and that's the result you'll get, we'll be able to go out there and get wins against good teams. And, uh you know, like I said before, that's the standard, and that's that's how we expect to operate moving forward. And you've obviously been to the postseason a number of times, one of the most accomplished receivers in the NFL. Were you part of those conversations about accountability? Was there something that maybe you saw that you wanted to bring up to your teammates and get everybody to, to reinforce that buy-in? Absolutely. I mean, it was – a lot of it was my uh, – you know, we, we had a captain's meeting when we got back from the game that we lost on the road. Um, and then we ended up having a few more meetings um, with, uh, with with some coaches and, and had an opportunity to talk to the team and basically just address a few things that, you know, not calling anybody out per se, but just calling on everybody, um, you know, to to just bring a little bit more as far as whether it's the time that you're spending on studying or helping somebody else or, you know, just being more locked in in the moment and, you know, in, the, in these games so that we can acknowledge the reasons why we were losing so that we could, you know, go out there and be able to change it and, and beat a team that's a, that's a really solid team. And, uh, you know, that they want to label it as a must-win game or whatever. We, we feel like they're all must-win games, so that's how we, we want to attack it and have that mentality moving forward. And obviously a catalyst to a lot of your success in Green Bay was the connection you had with Aaron Rodgers, right? And you've made no secret since you arrived in Las Vegas with the Raiders your affinity for Derek Carr, 
how much you care about him as a person, as a player, how great he is as a quarterback. What are some of the things that, that make both Aaron and Derek elite? Because you can make a case that both of those guys are top 10 or so quarterbacks in the league today. Carl with a lot of upside from here. What about those two guys makes them so special? I mean, they're, they're two guys that expect a lot from themselves and they don't, um, they're not satisfied with anything less than, uh, you know, a, a, a plus great effort out there. And they want to, they want greatness every time they hit the field. And obviously one is a four time MVP, um, you know, Super Bowl winning quarterback. And another one is a um, slightly younger, um, extremely accomplished, but hasn't really had uh, some of the acknowledgements or the, the accolades that, that um that Aaron had but has has shown that you know throughout the the time he's been in the league he's probably had some of the most adversity um from any other quarterback that I that I know of let alone had not know personally so um to to see that what he's done and and to see the mentality that he still has and the you know similar to what I was just saying about, about the intentionality I mean both guys bring everything they got every single day and you know you, you see the result in the way that they play and take me through those first couple moments, whether it's running routes over the summertime before camp, first couple practices. Was there a moment where you realized that you were locked in, that you were dialed in with Derek Carr and it was like riding a bike again from when you guys were together at President? Yeah, I mean, we started throwing immediately. I mean, it was like two days after I signed here. I was already out in Vegas and we were getting to it, um, getting to know Darren, getting to know Hunter, um, Foster Moreau. Um, DJ Turner, we all out there throwing and getting ready, getting ready for a, se- a, a big season. And um, just based off of the little time that we spent on the field within those few days, I could tell that you know we were. And the, and the other big thing is that people people don't realize for the first six years of our career we were throwing together every single off season. You know we lived really close by each other. And then when the the Raiders moved to Vegas was when we we stopped throwing. So we only had about a year or two. Um, in between, so we were able to kind of use some of that stuff we were doing in the off season to just propel us into this year, and um, still getting more adjusted now. But uh, we, I like where we're at as a as a connection. And you've also played for two really bright offensive minds. Uh, of course, Matt Lafleur in Green Bay has that reputation. Josh McDaniels and everything that he accomplished with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick before coming to the Raiders, and now as your head coach. What are some similarities between those guys? What sets them apart as as just brilliant offensive minds? Um, I mean, the way the amount of time that they put into it is is crazy. I mean, I've never seen two coaches, head coaches that that put as much into the film and the details of what they do, and they're just, I mean, obsessed with with what they do and. Um, you know, that's why they've had so much success. I mean, Matt obviously won 13 games three years in a row, and Josh, six Super Bowls or so. Um, and that type of stuff doesn't just happen no matter what team you play for or what's on the back of your jersey or, or you know, just because it doesn't happen just because you're a nice guy. So you got to – it has to be a lot of a lot of work that's put into that. And, uh, I mean, the, the results show and the amount of games they can win. And you brought up – the other receivers in that room and you guys have a ton of weapons. And one of the guys who's really stepping up that has made an immediate impact this year, kind of grown into a contributing role right out of training camp is Mac Hollins. Tell me what has driven Mac Hollins emergence this year and what he means to you guys offense. 
Well, Mac, Mac is a guy that he's been waiting on this opportunity for a while. Um, I even told him when I first met him that I didn't realize that he was as skilled a receiver as what he is, just based off of, you know, on the on the, the teams he's been on in the past. He's been used as more of a special teams guy and uh, didn't get as many, you know, opportunities at wideout. I think the most catches he ever had was like 15 or 16 in a season. And, you know, over the past three games or whatever, he's probably got more than that. So, um I knew based off of the first, you know, when we were in OTAs that he was going to be able to have a pretty solid impact on this team. And I mean, his his um his his attitude and his personality is infectious, and it's it's um it's it's something that we we definitely need on this team. That's why he became a captain and was voted as such by his, by his uh, his teammates is because um, he he does it right. He's an animal in the weight room all around. So he's a great teammate to have. And Devontae, no matter who I talk to around the league, whether it's scouts, executives, coaches, you're top of mind when it comes to people talking about the most complete receivers in the NFL, one of the best route runners, if not the best route runner in the league. But, you know, take Devontae Adams and put him on a shelf, right? I mean, I'm sure you watch football. I'm sure you watch the Monday night game, the Thursday night game. You know the league, you know receivers. If Devontae Adams were picking the top three route runners in the league today, who comes top of mind for you? Man, picking top three anything in the league today, especially at wideout, is almost impossible. Um, wow, that's a that's a great question. Um, who's one? Give me one. When, who who's the guy that you watch and you're like, man, that guy, that guy's next level. Um, I mean, obviously you got you got Cooper Cup. Um, he's he's a he's a great route runner. Um, Justin Jefferson. Um, uh, a lot of these guys, Stephon Diggs. I mean, Diggs. Diggs is one of the first people I think of um, as far as just clean routes. Um, another guy people people forget about a lot, Calvin Ridley. He's he's top three. Yeah. Um, as far as the, if you watch the tape, you really know what you're looking at. Calvin Ridley's the top three uh, route runner, and you know maybe maybe top five or something in the league. And and Keenan Keenan Allen, one of my good friends. He's probably one of the ones that I've watched the most tape of. I mean, I had that back to when I was in in, uh, in my senior year in, in high school. I was watching him at Cal, so, and um, that's kind of what got our connection going early on. So that's probably some of the guys right there in, in no particular order. I'd probably say Keenan first if I had to start with something. Keenan, Calvin, and, uh, and Coop. It's a great list. And, you know, Cooper Cup now has that Super Bowl ring on his finger. Uh, let's go to the flip side of that. You know, who's the corner in this league that you might have had a big game against or you caught a touchdown against where you take so much pride in beating him? Who, who's the guy that stands out on that list for you? Um, well, I take pride in beating everybody. So it, <laughs> it, it really... <laughs> my, my man. Everybody... Every everybody I line up across from, I don't care who you are. I, I want to. I, I take pride in that matchup, regardless. So, Love it. Um, but if I face somebody, honestly, it's a good timing for that question because it's my first time playing against this guy was just the other day, and I, I think he's a really good player. Um, Pat Sertain, he's a he's, he's he's a solid guy. He's a, he's a young player. I want to say it's his second year, but I can tell you, he knows exactly what he's doing. He puts a lot into it. So. Um, that was a fun matchup, and I look forward to the rest of them. 
Of course, Devonta Adams is brought to us by Tide, and we're getting into why you need to wash that lucky jersey of yours. But before we do, Devonta, these last couple rookie wide receiving classes have just been loaded. When you talk about, you brought up Justin Jefferson. There's Jamar Chase. You have Jahan Dotson and Drake London and Chris Alave, and the list goes on and on and on and on. If you look at these young receivers that have come out in the last couple of years, who stands out for you? Who do you think is the guy that has the best chance to be elite? Um, I mean, you got to go with Justin Jefferson. Um, Justin Jefferson and, and Jamar Chase, those two, those, those LSU boys, just all the LSU boys, they come in the league ready to play at a different level than, than a lot of other guys. Um, you know, when I was when I was that age, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't touch those guys as far as what they're accomplishing right now. So um, I got a lot of respect for what they're doing. How much do you think it helps? And you've obviously been in this situation being with Aaron forever, knowing Derek forever. How much does it help Jamar Chase to have that connection with Joe Burrow going back to LSU and now getting to build on it at, at, in Cincy? Um, it helps him a lot. I'm sure it's, uh, you know, it's not like if he had a different quarterback or, you know, if Joe wasn't in there, he wouldn't be able to make it happen. I, I definitely think he'd be able to do it, but when you got a good friend at quarterback and you got somebody that you know and you've been around and spent time with, uh, you know, off the field a lot and in, in, in school especially, you learn a lot about a guy there. So um, I think that that helps the connection, helps just the, the, the mental, you know, obviously it makes you think about your receiver a little bit more than if it was just, you know, just any other guy. So um, that that connection is pretty deadly and, and I think it's just going to continue to get worse as we uh as we move forward no doubt now Devonte, you've partnered with tide and i know you're trying to bust the myth that lucky jerseys don't need to be washed so how do fans wash their lucky jerseys and keep all the good juju intact and, and not risk turning it into just another jersey they wear on a wednesday versus the one they wear on game day well i mean you got to start with what you're washing it with and and when you use tide that's exactly i mean it, it, it's it's, it's science. There's this, it's a science in it that you use Tide to wash the stuff. All you're doing is cleaning the jersey and you're keeping all the rest of the, the sentimental and the superstitious and all that stuff intact. So, um, you know, that's uh, I was the same way. I had a I had a lucky jersey when I was, you know, in middle school and it, it was a white jersey and it actually ended up being um, getting was pretty it? dirty. And who was the jersey? Was it your, was it yours or was it a favorite player? Who, who's whose jersey was it? No, no. No, this was a Tim Brown jersey. Oh, beautiful. Tim Brown jersey and, and had to had to wash it, of course, with Todd. Um, that goes without saying. And and you know, it was a little bit of a weird adjustment for me because I had never washed it before that and I had it for years. But um but once I did that, um, you know, I felt felt great about it and it was it was certainly lucky, but it was also dirty. So it was something that, that needed to be done. And do you have a go to tide? What should people be looking for on the shelves to wash that lucky jersey with? You got to go with the hygienic pods. That's, that's the only way to go. Yeah, no, I hear you. All right, so we know about the Tim Brown jersey, and you're now fortunate enough to be playing for the Raiders, kind of following in Tim Brown's footsteps in a lot of ways, right? What were the superstitions of yours? What's your game day superstition that got you here? What do you still need to do on game day? Tell tell the world Devontae Adams's game day superstitions. We'd love to hear them. I got nothing too crazy, but I do eat the same thing every every um, game day, you know, and it has to correspond with, 
if it's a night game or a morning game. If it's a, if it's an early game, then obviously it's going to be a breakfast thing, and I usually keep it to the same scramble every time with some toast and, and crown apple. And then um, if we have a night game, you know, prime time, typically I, I go for my salmon salad, which I started years ago, had a big game, and then just kind of kept that rolling. So um, those are my two. Um, and uh, I, I guess I also wear uh, the same thing every single game in the game. My, my wristband on my left arm, um, just just a little, little above the, the left wrist, um, same socks, and, and, of course, my Jordan swag and, and my, my swag rag as well. You see the, the towel on the left side. So pretty pretty consistent with what I wear and what I eat. All washed with Tide, I assume? <laughs> All of it? Oh, of course, of course, of course. Even though Beautiful. it's a new it's a new wristband, it completes every game. But um, when it when they do get washed, it's it's certainly tied, sir. He's Devontae Adams, all pro wide receiver for the Las Vegas Raiders. He joined us on behalf of Tide with the message to wash those lucky jerseys. Devontae, appreciate the time, my man. Look forward to talking to you further up the road. Best of luck the rest of the season. Absolutely. Thank you, man. Really great conversation there with Devontae Adams. And I thought really insightful as well that it was a captain's meeting where Devontae stepped up and they admitted to calling out some lack of accountability and what they needed to do to turn the season around as they did on Sunday against their division rivals, the Denver Broncos. A big win for the Raiders that desperately needed it. That was a team that entered the season legitimately thinking Super Bowl. You you talk to Raiders fans, you talk to people inside the league after everything they did over the course of this offseason, trading for Khalil Mack and dropping him opposite of Max Crosby on that defense, bringing in Adams, kind of the one of the biggest moves at the wide receiver position that anybody had made across the league, pairing him with Derek Carr. We talked a little bit about Mack Hollins and what he's brought to the table. There's so much talent there that they were really underperforming in the first three weeks of the season. They might have just turned it around. They might have just figured it out. They might just have the spark now to launch into the second half of the season in a division where on paper we talked about it all offseason, right? We talked about Justin Herbert and the Chargers maybe closing the gap on the Chiefs. They're now snake-bitten by injuries as the Chargers have seemed to be over the last 5, 10, 15 years as a franchise. I think the Chiefs will get into them a little bit later on in a big way. I think they found their way in a big game in a monster setting against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers on Sunday night. And the Broncos kind of are what they are. But the point being, everybody thought going into this year that the AFC West was going to be the most dominant division in football, that there was a chance that they could send three teams to the NFL playoffs. All four teams have kind of underachieved at various points. And we're only now four weeks into a 17-game schedule. There's time for Adams and the Raiders to turn it around. But when I think of the Super Bowl coming up this year, and there, there's a lot of football still to be played. There are a lot of variables still to be taken into account. But when I look at the NFL right now today, on we're recording this on Tuesday, October 4th, four weeks into the year, there are two teams, in my opinion, that really seem like they're on a collision course to meet in the Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona in February. And those two teams are the Philadelphia Eagles and the Buffalo Bills. They have the best rosters. You look at what uh, Brandon Bean has been able to do in Buffalo. You look at what Howie Roseman has done, not just this offseason, but last offseason, and the moves that they have made. 
you look at these two rosters, they are the deepest rosters, the most talented rosters, top to bottom on both sides of the ball. And they have built teams around two quarterbacks that are playing some of the best quarterback of their career. They're the driving forces of their teams. They're getting everything that you would expect out of a franchise quarterback in Josh Allen in Buffalo. And Jalen Hurts has really rounded a corner, turned a corner into that type of a role in Philadelphia. And they've built weapons all over the place. You look at the Bills and you can rattle the names off off the top of your head when you think about guys like Stephon Diggs. Gabriel Davis has developed into a household name. Isaiah McKenzie is an elite weapon who would probably be a top two receiver on most teams across the NFL. He's your slot guy. You have a stable of really great running backs, a really good offensive line. And in Philadelphia, of course, you look at what Howie Roseman did this offseason, pulling off perhaps the biggest heist in the NFL this offseason on draft night, trading for A.J. Brown, giving Jalen Hurts a second deep threat, a top five wide receiver in the NFL, one of the biggest matchup nightmares in the NFL, weapons all over the place. And we saw last year with the Eagles turning their season around making the postseason after a second half run, largely behind the number one rated rushing offense in the NFL, we've seen that the Eagles are at their best when they're a ground and pound running team that sets up the pass. And I wrote about this on Monday in First and 10, go check it out on heavy.com, that Nick Sirianni turned a corner against the Jacksonville Jaguars, falling behind 14 to nothing. The passing game wasn't working. The pressure was getting to Hertz. So what do they do? They commit to the run, and they run the Jaguars out of the building. So there's talent on both of these offenses. But on defense, I don't think people going into this season talked enough about what the Eagles did on defense. Bringing in Kazir White at middle linebacker, a veteran presence, a thumper who's always around the football, a leader. Hassan Reddick coming home to Philadelphia as a dominant presence on the edge. You draft Jordan Davis, who's getting better every week, by the way who not only can be an interior pass rusher, but an elite run stopper against the likes of Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott in the division. And there's a parallel here. When you look at all the talent in Buffalo, you go out and you trade for future Hall of Famer. You sign him as a free agent. You sign future Hall of Famer Von Miller, fresh off a Super Bowl. And you round out one of the top three or four front sevens in football. That's the winning formula. Dominant playmakers around a potential franchise quarterback and a defense that can play at a championship level every single week, both the Eagles and the Bills now have that. And because quarterback is the most important position in all of sports, because that matters most, getting high-level, dominant play out of the quarterback position, a couple things really jumped out at me here. When you look at total offense, Jalen Hurts is on pace to break the quarterback record in the history of the league for total offense in a season. Josh Allen is second. Jalen Hurts is on pace for 17 rushing touchdowns. And Hurts, by the way, has gotten a lot smarter about picking his spots where to run, when to run, when to get down, when to get out of bounds, when to avoid the hard hit. He's on pace for 17 rushing scores. And the record is held by Cam Newton, who had 14. Oh, by the way, Josh Allen, one of the more physically imposing quarterbacks in the league, who is no slouch as a runner himself. He's on pace for nine touchdowns. So you have all these weapons around your quarterback. You have two great offensive lines. The Eagles might have the best offensive line in football. And you have two quarterbacks who, when you have to tuck it under and run, they can do it at an elite level. 
These are two really dominant rosters, and it would not surprise me in the least if they are the battle-tested teams that wind up playing in the Super Bowl in February. And you talk about the quarterback position, and you talk about the young quarterbacks around this league. And a guy that jumps to mind for me, whose team is just absolutely failing him, has failed him since his arrival, and you look at what they did and didn't do this offseason that has set him up really to fail and in a lot of ways could set back the organization, that's Justin Fields in Chicago. And, you know, I watch a lot of Big Ten football. If you followed my career, if you follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL, you know, I'm a Penn State football season ticket holder. So I've watched a lot of Big Ten games. I've watched a lot of Ohio State, Penn State games over the years. Justin Fields looked like the real deal at Ohio State. And he was dialed in. And it's easy to look good at Ohio State when you have a top two offensive line in the country, top two wide receiver core in the country every single year, churning them out playing for a guy like Ryan Day, it's easy to look elite there, right? But he had all the, the skill set, he had all the traits, and, and he deserved to be a top 15 pick in the draft. The Bears went up and got him in that trade with the New York Giants. But now that they have Justin Fields, the Bears need to help him. The Bears need to do something to help Justin Fields. I, I don't know if it's whether you have to change the play caller. I don't know if every single week you look at Ryan Poles, the general manager, and Matt Eberflus, the head coach, I don't know if every Sunday night on the team plane coming back from a road game or stepping into the office after a home game, every single week, Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus should be scouring the waiver wire, working their contacts. They should be working out young receivers every single week. I know Darnell Mooney is there. I know that they have injuries. I know that they're banged up. But I watched this team and I saw them Sunday against the Giants, saw them against the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau on Sunday Night Football. It's the most one-dimensional offense in the league. They have a great running back in Khalil Herbert, and that's great. It's all well and good. They can run block. Fantastic. But you're letting your young quarterback down in a big way. Now, I, I don't know if the answer is someone like Austin Mack, former Giants wide receiver who can contribute on special teams, who this preseason led the NFL in receptions and receiving yards, is a little bit of, of a field stretcher. I don't know if Austin Mack is the answer there. He should be working out in Chicago. They should kick the tires. I talk to people all the time. Austin Mack isn't getting a lot of buzz. He should. He's good enough to be on a roster, good enough to be on a practice squad. He'd make the Bears better. I don't know if it's John Ross, who you want to talk about deep threats? You want to talk about speed? John Ross set the record for the 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine. No, I know that was five, six, seven years ago, but he can still, when healthy, he can still be a contributor. Travis Benjamin is another guy. Speed to be a deep threat. Consistent return option. You look at them having uh, their return, Jakeem Grant, on the shelf as a returner. Travis Benjamin checks that box. Travis Benjamin is a veteran receiver that would step into a young room and add experience, speed, and field-stretching upside for sure. And I think what was the tipping point for me, and I've written about this a couple times when it comes to Justin Fields and the Bears really letting him down, the tipping point for me was going back and re-watching that game on Monday afternoon, and there were a couple of really nice deep balls from Justin Fields. You know, he's at his best when you can stretch the field with a guy like Mack, with a guy like John Ross. Darnell Mooney pulled down a great ball over the middle of the field by Justin Fields on Sunday against the Giants, but the Bears have to realize something here. Odell Beckham Jr. isn't walking through that door. 
Odell Beckham Jr. isn't going to solve your problems. He's not going to Chicago. You talk to people around the NFL, you talk to people close to Odell Beckham Jr., he's only going to a place where he can catch a lot of passes from an elite quarterback and have a chance to win. Well, I don't know you have much of a chance to win with the Bears. I, you're going to catch a lot of balls, sure, but I don't know that Justin Fields is that elite quarterback, and he's certainly not going to be enough to overcome the other boxes that Odell Beckham Jr. hopes to check going to his next destination. But people inside the league continue to stress to me every time I bring it up, whether it's agents, whether it's scouts, whether it's a general manager who I talk to every week, whoever it is, they keep stressing the Bears need to do something, that Chicago desperately needs offensive line help, young wide receivers, something to help Justin Fields to help spark this offense. And I think what really jumped out in that giant game that I mentioned earlier, there was a play where Justin Fields didn't have any pressure in the pocket. It was a clear pocket. Dexter Lawrence, the big space eater, the big six foot eight, 340, whatever pound nose tackle, Dexter Lawrence, who's just a game wrecker on the inside. He was being double teamed but you saw him kind of flash at the snap that he could be coming up the middle. And Justin Fields scrambled out of a clean pocket and was nearly sacked, nearly ran himself into a sack. That's the sign of a young quarterback who doesn't trust his offensive line. That's the sign of a young quarterback who's trying to do too much, who knows he doesn't have enough help at the skilled positions to, to be able to make a play on schedule with the play. They have to figure it out. They have to do something. They have to get Justin Fields some help, if for no other reason, not only to help him resurrect his career and turn it around, but because they need to know. Ryan Poles wasn't the GM who drafted Justin Fields. Matt Eberflus wasn't the head coach who identified and drafted Justin Fields. They need to find out if Justin Fields is their guy. Point blank, that's the bottom line here. The Bears, for the sake of their franchise, need to find out if Justin Fields is their franchise quarterback. And if he's not, well, they need to look in another direction because you're not going to win championships with the roster around that quarterback. Now, a team that has a real chance to win a Super Bowl, and I didn't think that they were even in the conversation two weeks ago. I certainly didn't think they were in the conversation when Trey Lance got hurt, but that's the San Francisco 49ers. Did you see that game on Monday night? If you watched what D'Amico Ryans, the defensive coordinator, put together as a game plan, and I have much more about this in my weekly Wednesday column in the trenches on heavy.com. Be sure you check it out. But that game plan from D'Amico Ryans, if that was a playoff game, if that were a Super Bowl, you'd put that game plan in the Hall of Fame. It would be right there next to Bill Belichick's defensive game plan from when the Giants beat the Bills in the Super Bowl. Because what he did to Matthew Stafford, what D'Amico Ryans did to Matthew Stafford, had him seeing ghosts, had him feeling pressure that wasn't there by gaming Nick Bosa up the middle, sending your edge rushers up the middle, your nose tackles off the edge. It looked like you were seeing pressure from all angles. And Matthew Stafford didn't even see it coming. And it capped, it, it was capped off by Niners safety Tanolona Hofanga returning an interception 52 yards for a touchdown and the Niners running away with a 24-9 win. A statement. It was an ass-kicking against the Rams, a division rival who won a Super Bowl. 
10 months ago, whatever it was, nine months ago. They don't look like they belonged on the same field as that defense. And, you know, that's an offense with Matthew Stafford, with Daryl Henderson, with Cam Akers, with Cooper Cup. You heard Devontae Adams, maybe the best route runner in the NFL, Cooper Cup. Allen Robinson, all of these guys. I, I know the offensive line is banged up. I get it. You need continuity to form an offensive line. The Rams don't have it now. But the Niners went in and punched them in the mouth. They looked like the team to be, they looked like two teams headed in the opposite direction. And I think that what you saw was one of the more impressive things that we've seen, certainly this week, but maybe over the course of the season. And, you know, I spoke to D'Amico Ryans, his former teammate with the Philadelphia Eagles. I covered D'Amico Ryans when he was in Philadelphia. Great guy, great leader. It's no surprise to me that the Niners are playing their asses off for him, that they're bought in. I spoke to Nolan Carroll, who was also on those Eagles teams. Got to know him a little bit back then, but I spoke to him Tuesday, and he told me flat out, if the 49ers keep this up, D'Amico Ryans is going to be a head coach this offseason. And he should be. He absolutely should be. Checks all the boxes. Great leader. Obviously a tactician. Obviously can draw up an elite, dominant game plan for his defense. I know he has Nick Bosa and Fred Warner and all that talent, but he maximized them. And, you know, the 49ers, they're going to need to win with their defense because I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is good enough to keep them afloat. I think that he's good enough to be a game manager, maybe a little bit more than that. When they get healthy at running back, that'll certainly help. But they're going to need to win with defense. And if they do, if Ryans can continue to scheme up this kind of relentless pressure, they're going to be a really, really, really tough out. Want to talk about tough outs? Let's go to the Lombardo Trophy. Let's cue that up. How about that as a, as a tough out? Going to the Lombardo Trophy, and it's a team that has a Lombardi Trophy in their trophy case. Each week, we're going to award the Lombardo Trophy to the team or the unit or the position group that made the biggest statement of the prior weekend. And sitting around watching all the games on Sunday, it was crazy to watch all the comebacks. 14 teams came back from two scores down. Something like six more teams came down from 10 points down. Just a crazy day, as NFL Sundays tend to be. But what we witnessed in Tampa Bay, from the moment that Patrick Mahomes ran onto the field after introductions, you could tell he had that look in his eye. You could tell that he was out for revenge and that this game was personal to him against Tom Brady and the team that embarrassed him in the Super Bowl, in Super Bowl 55. You could tell that he was out to extract some revenge there. And he got it in a big way, in a big way. You look at what they did coming off the week they had prior, where you had the turnovers, the shoddy special teams play, the mistakes, Mahomes losing for the first time when he was blitzed more than 12 times in a game, the argument near the tunnel between Patrick Mahomes and offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. all of those things that happened in Indy. Well, they made a statement against the Buccaneers, and that's just not another team. That's one of the top three or four teams in the NFC. That's Tom Brady on the other side. You know, that that's Tom Brady who ran Patrick Mahomes out of the building in the Super Bowl. That's Todd Bowles who drew up a magnum opus of a game plan in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes, and he lit him up. He lit them up on Sunday night. I mean, it felt like that was their Super Bowl for any other team. You know, you look at what Miami did holding on and that it took 
everything they had to beat the Bills a couple of weeks ago. That that was that was the Dolphins Super Bowl, right? This felt like the Chiefs regular season Super Bowl, but they're a team that's battle tested. They're a team that knows how to win big games in the biggest spots in the postseason. And you know, you look at what they were able to do when Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are on the same page, when they're on a mission, they might be the most dominant duo in the NFL, pass catcher and quarterback, full stop, most dominant out there. I don't know that there's a better one. They were in lockstep against the Buccaneers and a really good secondary. And I know, I get it, I get it that Julio Jones wasn't quite 100% even though he played. I know Chris Godwin went down again in that game. I know that the Buccaneers are banged up. I know their offensive line has been beaten and battered and bruised and knocked around ever since training camp. But Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, he absolutely emptied the clip at Brady. And that was one of the few times where Brady looked rattled in a game that I remember watching. You know, you look at the hit where he, you know, got ridden to the ground, banged his shoulder. I think that had an impact late, but but just couldn't really get it going, Tom Brady, in that game. So I, I look at what they did on defense. I look at Mahomes bouncing back in a big way. He threw for 249 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. And how many of those plays, you know, tell on yourself a little bit here. How many of those plays did you watch and you thought, man, he's down. Oh, that's a, that's a big loss. That's a sack. And you're like, oh my God, how do you make that throw? Oh my God, how did he break out, break, break loose from that? The scramble along the goal line where it looked like he was going to be, you know, knocked to the ground by his knees and he flipped it into the end zone for the touchdown. The throw to Clyde Edwards Hilaire. There were there were so many Patrick Mahomes moments that you're going to cut up a Patrick Mahomes highlight reel in, in 20 years at his Hall of Fame introduction ceremony as a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, there were a lot of plays where you could say, all right, that's going on the reel. I know it's only week four of the 2022's regular season, but in 20 years, that's going on the reel. That to me is what was most impressive, answering the bell, answering the call. And when I look at that team and when they're at their best, it's when Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid are at their best. Andy Reid to me, I don't know that there's a more innovative play designer. There might be better play callers. Because I think that Andy Reid at times gets away from the running game. I think Andy Reid at times, look at what happened in the AFC Championship game against the Bengals last year. I think there are times where these guys kind of go through a brain fog moment. But I think as far as designing plays and trick plays and figuring out when to use them, there might not be anybody better than Andy Reid. And you saw the direct snap to the tight end on the quarterback sneak for a touchdown. You saw the Philly special-like play towards midfield. Andy Reid had it going. That might have been the Chiefs Super Bowl. I think they're very much in the mix for the Lombardi Trophy. I think that they're a top two, top three team in the AFC right there with the Buffalo Bills. Look out for the Bengals, who, by the way, only face the eighth hardest schedule according to Tankathon the rest of the way. So the Bengals and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, they're for real. Look out. They're starting to heat up. But the Chiefs are in the mix for the Lombardi Trophy. They take home the Lombardo Trophy, the the inaugural Lombardo Trophy. We might as well call it the Mahomes Trophy from here on out. But the Lombardo Trophy from episode one of the podcast goes to the Kansas City Chiefs. So before we look too far ahead to the postseason, before we get into everything that might be coming down the line, each and every week we're going to throw out our pick of the week. 
We're going to make our selection for the upcoming Sunday slate, Thursday night game included, of course, Monday night game in the mix as well. We're going to give you our pick against the spread. We're, we're, we're going for covers here. We're not going for wins. We're going for covers. And the pick of the week this week, I'm going back to, to my old beat. They're, they're right there. You know, covered the Giants for a couple of years. NJ.com, a couple outlets, made my way over to, to Heavy as the NFL insider. We're, go, we're going to the Giants for the pick of the week this week. In London against the Green Bay Packers, they're getting eight and a half points. Eight and a half. If you watch the Packers, look, I, I love what they've built in Green Bay now. I, I think that there were some early growing pains. There's going to be more growing pains around rookies. Christian Watson and, and Romeo Dalbs at wide receiver. Aaron Jones is legit, right? He's explosive. Top four running back in the league, top three quarterback in the league, defense, top five, pass rushers off the charts, great secondary, all that. Bailey Zappi took them to overtime. A, a fourth-round rookie quarterback took Aaron Rodgers to the brink and nearly beat them in Lambeau. I, I don't know. I mean, there was a lot of preseason hype about the Packers being a team to beat in the NFC. I think they're one of the top three teams in the conference. Sure, certainly. I was wrong about the Giants going in. Way wrong. I had them as a three-win team. You know, people were out for blood on Twitter, at Matt Lombardo NFL, by the way. People were out for blood on Twitter for my Giants pick. I was wrong. Put the pitchforks away. Put the pitchforks away. Brian Dable has them bought in. They've won close games. They're battle-tested. Not only does Saquon Barkley lead the league in rushing yards, he looks ex explosive as ever, healthy as ever. He's a more patient runner. He gets in and out of his cuts quicker. Secondary's playing a little bit over its head. I get that. It might be, uh, it might be Thomas Darrow, my producer, might play quarterback for them on Sunday. He might suit up. I hear hear Darrow has an arm. But you look at Jake Fromm potentially working out. You look at you know McC AJ McCarron potentially working out for the Giants. Daniel Jones is hurt. Might not play. Tyrod Taylor in concussion protocol, not going to play. And scary, strange things happen in London. You saw it Sunday. You saw it Sunday in that Saints game. If Will Lutz, as money as they come as kicker, double doink, game over, Vikings go home a winner, even though they have such a shoddy offensive line. I think the offensive line is going to let the Vikings down this year in a big way and really sabotage their opportunity, sabotage their opportunity in the NFC North. But I think the Packers are a little bit vulnerable. Strange things happen in London. And the Giants' formula of playing great defense up front and running the ball, pounding you into submission with Saquon Barkley, I think that travels. I think it travels overseas. And I think the Giants in London take care of business. They cover the eight and a half, at least, against the Green Bay Packers. So that's my pick of the week. Really fun show. Hope you enjoyed it. It's really great to be back hosting the Matt Lombardo show. Couldn't be more thrilled to be here at Heavy. Thomas Darrow, outstanding producer behind the scenes. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. Be sure to follow Heavy at Heavy on Sports on Twitter as well. And if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy the podcast, please do us a favor. Please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spreaker. Throw us a like on YouTube. And if you enjoyed this one, if you enjoyed the Devontae Adams interview, if you like the analysis, the insight, do me a favor, leave a five-star review. 
Let me know what you liked about the podcast. Let me know some areas you'd want to improve, some segment ideas, some guests you might want to have me try to get on. Leave those five-star reviews. Subscribe, like them, all of those things. They help grow the show. Uh, But you can check me out next week, same time, same place. I'm Matt Lombardo, Heavy's NFL Insider. Great games coming up this weekend. Thanks to Devontae Adams. Thanks to Thomas Darrow. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy Sports.